starting, like I said, starting out your Father's Day this way. It's awesome. It's great to, great to have you. Uh, I was just thinking, I remember back when I was teaching Hagen how to dance, and um, what a beautiful, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> didn't do that. Don't talk to him about it. That didn't happen. Um, so great to have you guys. You know, when you think about your, uh, your relationship with your father, what comes to mind? Is it uh, maybe a positive thing, a positive re- uh, memory, or this overall positive feeling about it, or is it maybe more of a, a negative um, situation, maybe a negative relationship or that type of thing? When you think about your father, what's the thought? Because here's, here's something that's, um, that I've heard oftentimes, is that a person's um, thought about their physical earthly father is sometimes how they relate to their heavenly father, to God. And so sometimes they put upon God the, uh, if it's, especially if it's a negative thing, they put their negative feeling about their earthly father onto God the Father. Here's what I'm hoping happens this morning. One of the things, anyways, that happens this morning as we look at the passage that we're going to look at. For those of you who have kind of a positive view of your father, I hope that as we work through what Jesus talks about, that that just resonates with you and you say, yeah, God, you know, my heavenly father is just, He's awesome. He's wonderful. And he reminds me, you know, I can see kind of my, him and my father type of thing. If you had kind of a, a rough relationship, my prayer for you and hope for you is that you'll be encouraged and comforted to know that your heavenly father is not your earthly father. Your heavenly father is awesome. He's good. He cares about you. He's promised to provide for you. He's promised to protect you. And the greatest promise is that if you have placed your faith in Christ and you have this relationship with God restored, that he promises to take you to heaven one day. And you can count on him. You can bet that he's going to do that. Turning your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're going to look at some words there that uh, Jesus talks about. And uh, as you're turning there, let me just kind of give you a little bit of a background to what's going on here, a little backstory. In John chapter 9, Jesus uh, has healed a blind man. And as, after he does that, he turns to the Pharisees and he says, oh, by the way, you guys are spiritually blind. So he's telling religious leaders that they're spiritually blind. And because of that, they are still sinners. They're still in their sin. Which, by the way, is the worst thing to tell a self-righteous religious person, right? <laughs> that they're still sinners. Because they're thinking, hey, we're good. We're following the law. But he's saying, you're, you're sinners. Then he goes into John 10, and he says, hey, let me just uh, give you an illustration here that I'm the good shepherd. I care about the sheep. I, I care about people. I provide for people. I love people, and, I, and I'm telling them about who God is and, and how, what uh, salvation is all about. Pharisees, you guys are, are thieves and robbers, and you're destroying people with your teaching about who God is and, and salvation. Of course, that didn't sit well. Uh, then in John 10, 11, verse 11, he says, by the way, I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. I'm going to die for the sheep, and I'm going to raise myself from the dead. Which, of course, freaked the Pharisees out, right? And if you're familiar with the story, if you're already starting to read in there, they say, this guy is demon-possessed. So they call the God of the universe demon-possessed. 
It never goes well between Jesus and the Pharisees. Um, He always seems to be able to push their buttons uh, just the wrong way. So what happens is the, uh, the Pharisees meet up with Jesus in the temple. And it's in this discussion, or really Jesus' response to them, that we have this next bit of good news that comes along with our uh, salvation. So not only do we get heaven one day, but there's some things that come with it that, that are extra good type of gifts. We're going to pick up the story here in verse uh, 22. It says this, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. Now, the Feast of Dedication, we know that today is Hanukkah. And what it was is it was a celebration over the fact that they were cleansing the temple because back in 160, 164 B.C., uh, years before Christ, Antiochus Epiphanes, which by the way, if you're thinking about naming children in the future, you know, Antiochus Epiphanes. I mean, no better word than that. A.E., you can call him for short. Um, you guys are really slow this morning. Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, went into the Jewish temple and sacrificed to the god Zeus. And so once they were able to get rid of that guy, they went in and they cleansed the temple. Uh, Feast of dedication, or like I said, we call it Hanukkah. So it was wintertime, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews, or the Pharisees, then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? And I think Jesus was probably saying, how long are you going to be so stupid? You know, type of thing. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Of course, that didn't sit well with the Pharisees, so they picked up stones again to stone him. Fortunately, Jesus was able to to get out of there with his life. It wasn't his time, and so he was able to get out. But here's here's what Jesus is saying in these verses. Then you can, we'll read it again and you can determine whether I'm right or not. (laughs) Salvation is from Jesus. And it's Jesus' gift to give, but it's also Jesus' gift to secure. It's Jesus' gift to give, and it's his gift to secure. And what I want to do is I want to talk uh, briefly about the gift again that we've talked about here already, and then look at this whole idea of him securing it and what that means for us. And so we pick up, go back to, to the beginning here. And he said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. And so here's the, here's the saying here at the end, I give eternal life. Jesus is saying, in spite of what we might think, in spite of what we might have been taught in the past, in spite of what anybody else might think, Jesus himself is saying, I give eternal life. So we can't earn it. We can't do anything for it. Jesus gives it to us. Well, to whom? Well, first of all, it's to those who believe. Those who believe. His, his works prove that he is God. 
See, the, the Pharisees, he says, you don't believe. You don't believe my works. See, they kept wanting Jesus to say, to say it verbally, I am God. Why? Because if he said it, then he would be blaspheming. And if he blasphemes God, they could kill him. And so they want him to say it. But what does Jesus do? He eventually says it, but he's just saying, listen, my works show it. Actions speak louder than words. And my actions prove that I am God. I'm doing the works of God. And of course, Pharisees thought and said that, well, he's demon-possessed. So they didn't believe, but those who are his do believe. They see his works, and they hear his teaching too, but they see his works, and they believe that these are done in the Father's name, which means done in the authority of or through the power of. He's basically claiming to be God. Healing a blind man, according to the Old Testament, was something only God could do. He's saying, look at my works. They testify of who I am. And so people who have placed their faith in Christ believe that what Jesus has done is the work of God, that he is, in fact, God, especially dying on a cross and rising from the dead. See, Jesus has to be 100% God in order to die an eternal death for your sin and for mine and then rise from the dead, raise himself, is what he says, from the dead in order to, to defeat our sin and death. He has to be 100% man so they can live that um, eternal or that, that perfect life on our behalf and to die for us. Jesus' people, those who have placed their faith in him, believe who he is, see his work, and then they say he's God. They put their faith in him. Then he goes on to the to explain who these people are. It's those who hear his voice. Now, this is really kind of a cool thing. Evidently, and we're going to find out more about this, that prior to you coming to Christ, prior to me coming to Christ, God was calling us. Isn't that awesome to think about? I mean, we could just stop the message right here and go home. We're not going to. So, you know, those who may not know, I get paid by the word, so I got a lot more to say. You know, I got to pay the bills this week. But, um, we, you know, God is calling us. Prior to us coming to Christ, God is at work in our life. He's calling us to Christ. Jesus talks about this in uh, John 6. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, so Old Testament prophecy saying, and they shall all be taught of God. What are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus. God on the earth teaching. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Isn't that great? I mean, we don't, we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about saving people. We just got to talk about who Jesus is, get into spiritual conversations with people. We're just, you know, we're just some of the people that God is using to work in people's lives to draw them to him for salvation. In John 16, Jesus gives us a little bit more insight into how this happens. It's God the Holy Spirit who's at work. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do, 
if I do not go away, the Helper, or the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin. So when you, when you first came to Christ, you were convicted, okay, I'm, I'm a sinner and I need, that's the Holy Spirit working in your life, giving you that understanding. And righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So they, they've got to understand who he is. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no, long, no longer see me. Jesus was the one there teaching about righteousness. Now it's going to be the Holy Spirit's responsibility. And concerning judgment because the rule of this world has been judged. Christians can find freedom from sin in Christ. Paul gets into the act here. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that faith, not of yourselves. It is it, faith, is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So the, the very faith, according to Scripture here, the very faith that you had to place into Christ was given to you by God in order to do that. Why? Well, because we were spiritually dead, for one thing. Now, we understand from other parts of Scripture that there's the personal aspect of this. We don't quite understand all of that. That's in the mind of God. But the point is, prior to you coming to Christ, God was at work in your life. And that's an awesome thing. He goes on to say then that it's shown, this relationship, the salvation is shown through following Him. It's, it's through obedience. When we place our faith in Christ, there's a, there's a change that is demonstrated. There's, there's a difference that begins to happen. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process, but you'll see the process, and you'll see this bend towards doing life God's way, because God's Holy Spirit's working in you, and as you understand the Scripture, and He brings that to mind, that we begin to follow Him, and we begin to live life like Him. In fact, uh, it talks about this, Jesus talks about this in Luke 9. He says, and He was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. And so the idea of there denying yourself and taking up your cross is this idea that I can't do this salvation on my own. I can't do the life that God calls me to on my own. But in the salvation, I can't save myself. I can't do all that needs to be done. I can't die an eternal death and rise from the dead. I'm not God. And so I need to deny myself. Say, I can't do it. Christ needs to do that for me. And, and as we do that, then he gives us the strength to do it. And he says if, if someone wishes to save his life, that, that word life there could actually be translated soul. So he's saying if, if you want to save your soul, yourself, you're going to lose it because you can't do it. But if you want to lose your soul, in other words, if you want Christ to do it, then that person will have their soul saved. Jesus is doing the saving. Jesus is giving the gift. So, salvation is Jesus' gift to give, but it's also His gift to secure, which we see in verse 28. End of verse 20 anyways. It says this, And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So the first thing, they will never perish. 
Though we who have placed our faith in Christ, not because of anything we've done, but everything that Jesus Christ has done, we will never perish. Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, John, uh, John 3. We looked at John 3.16 in that. We talked about the fact that God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus Christ. And those who believe in Christ, what? Will never perish but have eternal life. That perishes eternity in hell. And so the God who says, I, I need, because of who I am, I'm just and righteous, I need, to, I need to judge sin, is going to judge sin at some point. But he's also the God who loves. And so he says, listen, I'm the one who can take this from you. I'm the only one who can take this from you. If you place your faith in Christ, you'll never perish. You'll never go to hell. And then he says, no one is able to take them from his hands. He says it twice. Because when we place our faith in Christ, it's as if Jesus is wrapping his hands around us, and then it's as if God the Father is wrapping himself around us. Now, we understand that it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? One God, three persons. So it's not like there's actually two hands wrapped around us. What he's talking about there is the security of that. That there is just no way anybody or anything, including ourselves, could ever get us out of that grip. If we have truly placed our faith in Christ, there is nothing that can take God's fingers and pull them apart so that we are somehow gone. I was telling the first service about this. I remember when I was in high school, we played this game that we could never play today. Um, there's a lot of games we used to play back then that you can't play today, but one of them was that all the guys would um, grab hold of each other, right? So we're all like intertwined. And then the girls had to come and try to pull us apart. The girls knew that because of my incredible strength, I was unable, that they were unable to pull apart. So what they would do is they knew I was ticklish. And so they would tickle me, which, by the way, didn't end well. Uh, for a couple of the girls, I'll tell you that story some other day, um, but not in public. Because I don't want people to think, think bad things of me. Uh, but it didn't end well. And then there was another the girl that was part of it later on. We were playing Capture a Flag. You guys remember Capture a Flag? You ever played that? So I got the flag. Um, I don't run fast, but I run hard. And um, <laughs> so I was running. And this, the same girl who, things didn't end well uh, during that whatever game that was, she steps out from behind a tree. And she was, you know, she was about this tall, and I, was, I wasn't uh, this well-preserved. Um, but it, was, it, was, it wasn't good for her, let's put it that way. Uh, we won. And so that's what matters, right? Um, so anyways, back to what's important. Um, the girls couldn't get our hands apart, so they went, resorted to other things. Well, there's nobody who can do that. Nobody can pull God's fingers off of us. It's that secure. Another way to kind of think about it is this. It may be a logical debate. If you could lose your salvation, maybe you've heard this one before, if you could lose your salvation, then what sin did Jesus not die for? Because we believe when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross for our sins, past, present, and future. So what sin can you think or say or do so much that somehow or another what he did on the cross no longer covers it? It doesn't make logical sense. Because if 
you could lose your salvation, then, then he's not telling the truth. Okay? So, that doesn't make sense. The other part of that is this. If you could lose your salvation, um, then who ultimately are you trusting for your salvation? You're trusting yourself, right? I'm placing my faith in Christ for my salvation, but I might lose it somehow, so I'm going to do some things over here to make sure I don't lose it. Now, who's, who are you trusting? You're trusting yourself to do some sort of enough good work. It's almost like you did prior to coming to Christ, people who thought that salvation was through works. And so it doesn't make logical sense. The truth is, salvation is Jesus' gift to give and Jesus' gift to secure for us. Let me deal with one more question that comes up in this discussion. And then we'll do some takeaways. What about those who have fallen away? Maybe you've asked that question yourself or heard somebody ask that question in a Bible study. What about those who fall away? Those who, are, who say they're Christians, they profess to know Christ, and the key word there is professed, and, uh, but now they're not living life God's way. They're not going to church or you know, not, the decisions they're making aren't the way God wants them, the uh, decision that God wants them to make, whatever the case, but they appear to have fallen away. Well, there's really two answers. And again, there might be more, but these are the two that I keep coming back to. The first one is that they are Christians. They're living in open disobedience whom God will discipline. So the Christians that God will, they're, they're Christians, but God's going to discipline them. Revelation 3, Jesus says this to a, a church, you know, a, a bunch of Christians who worship together. He said, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, because, because he loves, reproves, and disciplines, be zealous and repent. And so some of these people that we think about in our minds who have apparently fallen away, they still may be Christians. And if so, they need to understand that God loves them, that Jesus loves them. What does love mean? Looking out for the best of somebody else, no matter what it might cost you. In this case, what it's going to cost Jesus. What's going to cost Jesus is that um, he's going to reprove them. So he's going to have to sit them down and say, hey, listen, what you're doing is wrong. And sometimes as Christians, we need to do that with fellow Christians or those who profess to know. Maybe sometimes God's going to use us to sit somebody down and say, hey, listen, what you're doing is wrong. Too often we think that love is just basically saying, hey, do what you want to do. We love you. We love, no, love is doing what's best for the other person. No matter what it might cost me, it might cost me a friendship. But love is saying, hey, listen, what you're doing is wrong. Wrong because you're disobeying God, but also wrong because it's going to hurt you. It's going to continue to damage your life. Why would you want to do that? Jesus doesn't want that to happen. So what does he do? He does the hard thing and, and, and says, hey, it's wrong, and then he disciplines. And people say, well, how is he disciplined? Well, you know, I don't know all the different ways that he might discipline, but I know this one. And it kind of goes along with the prodigal son we actually sang a little bit about. Oftentimes, the discipline that he meets out is us experiencing the pain of the wrong choices that we're making. And, and then, you know, eventually we get to the point where we're just like, oh, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I keep screwing up. Life is terrible. God, help me. That's what he's waiting for. Like the prodigal son, right? He gets to the end of his rope. He's like, this, I'm going to at least go back to my father. I could be a servant. Same idea. So we're to 
to be zealous and repent, to, to regain that passion for Christ, to, to regain what we used to have where we had this relationship where, man, we were reading the Bible and we were excited about what we were reading and we're kind of breaking things apart and understanding what's going on and we're taking steps of faith and we're actually doing it in our lives and seeing God do some cool stuff in our own lives and lives of others. Man, that was awesome. Jesus is saying, go back to that. And the way you go back to that is stop doing what you're doing. We talked about this before in the last week or so, right? Stopping something, you know, repenting is, yeah, turning from what you're doing, but it means then to start doing what you should be doing. It's really one and the same. We stop doing what we're doing that's causing us to have these issues, and we start doing what we know we need to be doing. And the first step, step is just opening this up and starting to read and pray and ask God, give me understanding, breaking it down, breaking it apart. Then it's being with our church family on Sunday mornings and Bible studies and getting together with our church family during the week. The other possibility is that they were never Christians in the first place. John talks about this in 1 John. He says, they went out from us, they, those who have professed to know Christ, but they were not really of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so it would be shown that they all are not of us. It almost sounds like Paul wrote that, doesn't it? <laughs> the, way, the way it lays out. What he's saying is, listen, people can say a lot of things. It's what happens in their life that shows what they really believe. And so people can say a lot of things. People can say, I'm a Christian. But eventually what's going to happen somewhere in their life, that's going to get proved out. And, and if they just kind of, you know, turn tail and, and head on out and do whatever they want to do, there's a good chance that they were never really Christians in the first place. The good thing is we don't have to determine that. That's, that's between them and God. But it could be, like I said, that they were never Christians in the first place. So I can give you verse after verse of the fact that we are, um, you know, eternally secure in Christ. But what are some of the takeaways for us this morning? How does this impact our life? And that's really great. We have some great information here, but how does it impact our lives? Well, the first one is this. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, or maybe you're listening to to the podcast, and and you're uncertain of your salvation. Well, if that's the case, even if, you know, maybe you've been attending church for a long time, and you're just like, man, every time I come to church, I hear this, and I'm not really sure. I remember sometime in the past, something happened and went forward, but I don't really know what it, you know, maybe it's that even. Or maybe it's the first time you're hearing it, and so this is all kind of new to you. If that's the case, make today the day that you receive the gift that God's offering you through Christ. Why not accept it? It's kind of it's crazy, right? You get a great gift given to you. I don't know anybody who would reject it. Like I, I'm expecting, like after lunch today, I mean, I'm, I plan on sitting in my, my recliner, and then there's going to be gifts coming at me. Happy Father's Day, we love you. I can see it happening just right now as I'm thinking about it. It's going to be awesome this afternoon. I canceled other events because I know there's going to be gifts. That must have been a dream I had last night because I don't see that happening. Actually. But anyways, so um, point being, accept it. And, and here's, this is what's awesome. Another thing that's awesome about the gospel. We don't do anything but believe. If there's something we do, we believe. 
We admit that we've sinned. So just admit, yeah, I've sinned. I've disobeyed God. We've all done it. Just admit that. And, I, and then we believe. We place our full trust. We entrust ourselves into Jesus who died for your sins on the cross and rose again for you. And then we confess that. Confess just means to, you know, you just kind of voice it. Again, it's not the prayer. We call it prayer when we have a conversation with God. It's, it's prayer. Um, and it's not the prayer that saves you. It's just your heart desiring for God to save you and then Him doing the work, giving you the faith, everything you need in order to make that happen. And then He forgives your sin. He places His Holy Spirit in you who gives you spiritual life. He adopts you into His family. He becomes your Heavenly Father who promises to provide for you, to protect you, and to take you to heaven one day. It's awesome. Here's what I'd like to do this morning. Just go ahead and close your eyes. Um, and in this time of, of quiet, if you're here this morning and you're uncertain, Jesus wants you to know that He died on a cross for you. He loves you so much that He died on a cross for you. So what I want to do, and I'm, I'm offering to do, is if you would like to pray that prayer, I'm willing to kind of maybe help you with a prayer that you could pray. Sometimes people are like, well, I'm not really sure, Pastor. You know, and If you'd like to do that, just go ahead and raise your hand. And uh, I can lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time, but this is something that you feel like you need to do this morning. Raise your hand. If not, okay, you can open your eyes. I'm going to have the band come up, and we got one more takeaway for us this morning. And, and that's for us as Christians. And uh, so the, the takeaway for us is, you know, have you been straying? You know, are you one of those people that Jesus might have been talking about in, in Revelation 3 where you're kind of moving away from, from Jesus Christ and maybe not spending the time with Him that you need to or doing the things that you need to in order to keep that relationship connected and, and close and intimate? And really, when I was thinking about this, all of us, this is almost for you know, kind of a daily thing for all of us, right? I mean, we're always needing to make sure, man, I gotta get, I gotta stay close to the Lord. I gotta stay close to the Lord. But if maybe this morning you're feeling like, man, I'm really kind of been straying off, then let me just share um, another verse that's connected to 3:19. So 3:19, as you remember, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And he says this. In 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. A lot of people use that verse as a salvation verse, but the context is of Jesus calling Christians who have walked away from him back to that fellowship with him. See, when you, when you walk away from, if you're truly a Christian and you walk away from Christ, you don't lose your salvation but you'll lose that sense of closeness, that fellowship. And I think, you know, some of us in this room can probably, I know there's times in my life that that happens. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm at the door of your heart. I want back into your life. I want to reconnect with you. And so what do we do? How do we do that? Well, like he says in verse 19, be zealous and repent. And so during this last song, I would just encourage you who are believers who might be in this situation to just take this time during the song and, and recommit to doing what's necessary 
to show that passion and desire for Christ, to experience that passion for Christ, and to repent and get back to doing what God calls you to do. It starts with time in His Word and prayer. And from there, He takes over and gets you moving in the right direction. Caleb?